I don't want to be a martyr. Nor I. I want to live. That is good. For believing what you do, we confer upon you a rare gift these days. A martyr's death. The cross commands you. The blood of the martyrs commands you. I wrote them down in my diary so that I wouldn't have to remember. All right, we don't have quite as much background today, simply because, well, I've given it to you for the last couple of weeks. So, simple little recap here. Europe of the high Middle Ages, there are problems in mass, specifically where we're going today, which is the early portion of the 15th century. And this is what's interesting, is as the time goes along, the, the map shrinks. So it's as we start getting into the 15th and into the 16th century, it matters less where you are and a little bit more about the global state of things because the globe is, string, is shrinking, shrinking with increased travel and learning, the university system that we've talked about. <clears throat> so during our times, we have problems in mass if you are the Roman Catholic Church. There is corruption at this particular time in history, the turn of the century from the 13 to the 1400s. You actually have three popes. You know, that the, the papacy, that beloved institution that claims unbroken succession, succession all the way back to Peter. And it is an unbroken succession, providing you pick the right highway. And I know that's a cheap shot, but I don't care. I'm still taking it. <laughs> There's also theological controversy going on pretty much everywhere. The influence of Wycliffe is spreading. You are seeing disciples of his as his work is being sent around. While there will there is not the explosion that will come in about a century from now, simply because there's not a printing press, the academic institutions, the increase in learning beyond the cloistered walls of the monastery are adding to problems for the centralization of knowledge and power. So with all of that said, I know I've been going a little bit long lately, but we've had a lot to go through to make sure this all made sense. We are diving right into our... To everyone's favorite avian martyr. <laughs> yes, Jan Hus. Uh, John Hus, if you try to English-size it. He is literally from Husinek in... Uh, my brain just stopped. I'm so sorry. In Bohemia, which is in the modern-day Czech Republic. Hus literally means goose. Remember that. It will be important later. He, as I said, is a bohemian, modern-day Czechoslovakia. He is a pastor and priest and student and professor in Prague. He is also a reformer. Reformer against what, you might ask? Well, he's not real high on some of the goings-on of the church. Things like simony, the selling of offices. Just think about this one. Okay, a little bit of background. If you were a priest, you would like to at some point, I mean, if you're thinking in the grand scheme of promotions, you would like to be a bishop. A bishop oversees the area priests, and this is very rudimentary. And then if you are a bishop, you would one day like to be a cardinal, be part of the College of Cardinals, where you would then go in to the little room, and amongst from amongst your own brethren, you would pick the next pope from amongst the cardinals. So, those promotions are supposed to be on merit, on learning, on teaching ability, on piety. By this point, they're done based on bank account. And again, throughout the uh, the High Middle Ages, there are several stories of the person who becomes pope is not the most 
pietistic or the most pious. It is the one who is basically the richest. How much money can you drum up? How much can you pay? Well, Jan, Mr. Hust, uh, not real fond of that. He's got problems with the Catholic ecclesiology, that structure we just mentioned. It's a problem with that. It's not exactly biblical, and that's where Hus is beginning to anchor himself. You're seeing this really throughout Europe with the pre-reformers, is this understanding that Scripture, not papal power, not bishopric power, but Scripture is the final arbiter in the ultimate rule of faith. He has problems with the Eucharist, the re-sacrificing of Christ, which if you're not familiar, that is what the Mass actually is. It is a claim to be a re-sacrificing of Christ. I mentioned he was a priest. He was the one in charge of Bethlehem Chapel, which, by the way, still exists. You can actually go look at that to this day. There's been some um, some renovation work. There was some destruction of it about 200 years ago. I believe there was a fire at one point. But the artwork, as well as portions of the walls, the seating, and the pulpit are original to the medieval chapel that Hus actually preached in, which is just kind of cool. Um, the artwork being the best part. I can't imagine why Hus didn't have more friends in the Roman Catholic hierarchy. He had two major murals drawn on the walls of this church. <laughs> And I'm laughing already because it's it proves a point. So on one wall, you had Christ seated on the donkey coming into Jerusalem, symbol of humility, symbol of poverty. On the other wall, you had the Pope in armor at the head of an army riding a white horse, symbol of power, symbol of authority, symbol, symbol of secular standing. Remember, we've talked about this. That the Pope as a bishop in Rome is also a prince in Rome, so to speak. So he has both sacred church authority and he has secular authority. And that's not how this was supposed to go down. And so Hus drawing attention to that simply by the artwork there in Bethlehem Chapel. Well, at this time, there is the calling of the Council of Constance. Now, the Council of Constance's main job was to figure out which one of the three guys who claims to be Pope is actually the Pope. Spoiler alert, it was none of them. They picked a new one. <laughs> but, ancillarily, if that's a word, if it's not, it is now. Martin the uh, the Fifth, who was the new Pope, was all, was the one who also granted the council authority to kind of start rounding up theological matters and controversies. These are breaking out all over. You're having problems in France. You are having problems in Italy. You are having problems in Bohemia. You are having you are having problems in England. These these are cropping up everywhere as the politics of the Holy Roman Empire and the politics of Rome begin to smash into each other and create issues both sub. Uh, both political and theological. So, with that, one of the most famous heretics around is Hus. So they would like him to come in and, like, you know, let's talk this out and figure out what we can do. Hus is promised safe travel by Sigismund, who is the uh, the one running Bohemia at this time. Well, Hus is not a nitwit. He actually wrote out his will before he left because he kind of knew how this was going to go down. But taking it at its word, he went in. It started out like a debate, like a discussion, and eventually they, um, and by they I mean the council, they arrest Huss and throw him in jail. Sigismund is uh, is very upset because he he was pro he's the one who promised Huss safe travel, but the bishops in charge of the council 
basically inform him, look, 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 you're not responsible for promises made to a heretic. Don't worry about it. It'll be okay. And I'm not even kidding about that. So they move him around. He's taken from a Dominican jail, put in a Franciscan jail. It's weeks that this goes along. And he's ordered to recant. And at every time that Huss is told he should recant of his teachings, they read from his books, they read from Wycliffe, they read from several things. He says, look, prove my error from Scripture and I will gladly recant. Notice the standing standing upon scripture. They're not interested in this. They want a, recanta- a recantation. They want a full denial. They want full restitution made and now positive statements towards the church. And these are all things Huss won't do because he's not being proven wrong from scripture. So he, this continues. He's eventually convicted, as you knew it was going to happen. They don't prove anything. They just convict him because we all know he's a heretic. It's obvious. See, you know, he said he'll change his mind if we can prove from scripture. That means he's wrong. I'm not kidding. That was the logic that was used. So they're going to execute him. And how do you execute the heretics? That's right, children, you burn them. So Hus is dressed like a priest, and then he is defrocked. He is insulted, and curses are cast upon him as they pull off one by one the pieces of the vestments. He's got the um, the uh, the crown haircut. So if you think like Middle Ages monk where it's bald on top, and then there's like the string of hair, he actually had that haircut because it was common for priests to have that as a mark of the crown of Christ for their teaching. They'll, they cut that off with shears and bloody him up, and then they stick a paper hat with devils drawn on it so they can bring him out to the place of execution. They tie him to the stake, and they pile wood and straw up to his neck, which is thorough, I guess. I mean, I, I suppose. When asked what, you know, what he thought of all of this, or to give a final statement, you may kill a weak goose. This is us. You may kill a weak goose, but more powerful birds, eagles, and falcons will come after me. And he was right. God is my witness that the things charged against me I never preached— In the same truth of the gospel which I have written, taught, and preached, drawing upon the sayings and positions of the holy doctors, I am ready to die today. And he did. As is typical of these burnings, they had trouble getting the firelight lit just right. According to tradition, some some old woman in the crowd actually had to come up with a bundle of dry timber to put up near his head so that it would actually light hot enough where he would die from the actual burning rather than just kind of slow roast, which is never a good way to go. But that final place, I'm convinced of Scripture. I have taught. I am secure. I am ready. Christian, this is the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is the hope of the strength for the time when it is needed. Rest assured in Christ that as you are faithful, that as he is fruitful in you and as you rest upon his teaching, that he has you. And that no matter how this ends, no matter what this world looks like, Christ is all in all. Until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye.